0: Years ago, when I was a a younger man, I stood on a field where they had read the Word of God over that field on a platform X amount of feet high off the air and uh, off the ground. And they had read the Word of God day and night for three days and uh, made it through the scriptures. They'd been sowing that Word of God on that ground and people weren't allowed to get on that ground. They were allowed to surround it and pray for it and pray over it. And there was thousands of college students that were about to like land on this field. And uh, so it's being like, the Word of God's being read over it, it's being prayed for. All these college students that are coming, they're being prayed over, and as they start to approach on the day that they're gonna arrive, it just starts pounding rain. Hopefully symbolic of the presence of God. It just starts pounding rain, and it goes on and on, and there was weather warnings, and everyone's sleeping outside, they're in tents and RVs, and it's just pounding rain on the very ground that the Word of God was sown in over for three days, and prayers were prayed over for those three days. And about 30,000 college students landed on that field outside for three days, and they worshiped, and they prayed, and they heard the Word of God exhort them. And somewhere along the way, I looked up, and all of us were on our knees on this muddy word-soaked ground, and we put our faces in the ground on this mud. And it was nearly simultaneous. There was an invitation for it, but it's like our hearts were already prepared for this moment that we would just get on our knees and put our heads on the ground and ask God to do something deep inside of us and deep in the world around us and deep in the church and deep in our families. And it was this Really, I don't know how to judge the time. It was three to six days, because there was a lot of pre-work going into the three days that those college students were there. But that six days was like a marked time of consecration. That field was set apart. That time was set apart. Those people set that time apart to show up on that field. And there, our hearts were intersected with God's heart. Never seen anything like it since. And there's some beautiful things happening in the world right now. So this was just a container of time that God did all the work to set us in motion, to set us in that place and receive. We did some work on our own hearts to set some things in motion inside of us, but it was a container for three days where God could just intersect our hearts with his presence, which is what we need more than anything. Today is Ash Wednesday and it marks the first day of Lent. Some of you guys are caught up on this, some of you guys aren't. Lent, this day, serves to help us begin the 40-day season with a day of confession and meditation on our frailty, our sinfulness, and our need for a savior. This is also, it's not just this sad day where we look at our sin, it's also a day of assurance and gratitude, where we remember that Christ has conquered death and sin through his life, death and resurrection. I just want to say out loud that the word Lent can mean springtime. That there's something about this season where we set ourselves apart to look for something that's about to bloom, that's about to grow. The church calendar, so I'm not talking about frontline church calendar, I'm talking about the global church calendar serves us to rehearse and deeply embody the gospel story. It does it through Advent, Christmas, this this moment of Lent, Easter. It takes us through the gospel story. It helps us rehearse this. It helps us embody. It gives us a space and a time to bring our hearts and to set ourselves apart and to grow our hunger and our desire for God. Letting passion rise out of passivity. So similar, just like the three days on that field was, this is a moment in time that we are, we don't, we're not going to a field, but we've been given a consecrated time in the church calendar to be a consecrated people to move, to, to move our hearts into a place where we can consecrate ourselves. You are a people set apart by God for God, that's what you're for. If you're in here and you're wondering, what am I for, what is my life about? You're a people set apart by God for God and you've been consecrated and the presence of God that fills your life is what sets you apart. Some of you are funny, some of you are brilliant, some of you are fast, some of you are thoughtful, some of you are compassionate but what really sets us apart is the presence of God. You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you would proclaim his excellencies, of him who called you out of darkness into his light. Once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you received mercy. And that's what I was thinking of as I was sitting here singing like, I've never been sought after like the way God sought after me. My wife really loves me. She puts up with a lot. She seeks after me. But she's done nothing in comparison to how God sought after me. And no one will do it like that ever again. But I flash back into those moments where I felt his heart calling me, even as a younger guy. And I just was like, man, I'm, I, I do what I want. I actually still act like that sometimes, too. I do what I want. And he just kept coming after me, pursuing me, saving me. Hey, most of our life is like a life of worship that's done by doing dishes, taking out trash, trying to be a good husband, wife, student, worker. You occasionally get a good feast, a good song, a good moment to play around in this life. Most of life, that's how we worship. The beautiful ordinary is a powerful way that we get to use daily life to worship and give our lives. But occasionally, a bigger desire breaks through that ordinary, a desire for the epic or the special, something that makes you want to set aside time from the, from the ordinary for this beautiful or for this epic thing like a day trip or a vacation, an adventure, something that just bursts out of your heart and you're like, you know what, this is worth putting some time aside for. Or even there's more drastic things than that in in terms of like, oh, we're about to move. We need to set aside time for that. We got pregnant, not Sarah and I, but (laughs) we got pregnant. We need to set aside time for that. There's, There's all kinds of life changes that keep happening that we have to set time aside for, but also God gets to consecrate time. He can speak to his people and say, set this time aside. He can put something in the global church calendar that says, hey, consecrate this time, set it aside. He can get us stuck in places like traffic or in lines at the grocery store and you think you're stuck, but it's consecrated time from God. Sometimes we get sick or hurt and it takes us a long time to repair. That could be consecrated time from God, that slow healing. I know that God has often used good men and women of the police force to slow me down <laughs> and consecrate my time. Thank you, police folk. What if we collaborated with the way that God sets time aside? What if we worked with that and we set aside time as a people that have been set apart by God's presence? And what if we worked together with him to pause and to ask for something extraordinary, something that would be relit inside of us that feels like it's starting to flicker? What if we set aside time to ask God to fill us up with some fire again, to move over places where we've become cold or numb? And I'm not talking to you guys as much as I am to myself. What if we set aside that kind of time to say as individuals or as frontline or as God's church to say, God, we, we need to return to you again? That Jesus is our center of gravity, and that is not a lie for the Christian faith. Like he's the thing that holds it all together, and yet we keep trying to like add philosophies and all this kind of stuff to it that tears us out away from him and steals us from our first love. That happens to my heart all the time to veer off. But it is true, and often I pull away to my first love, and I want to be this regular guy, but I also want to be this radical guy. And when I want so much to be a regular guy, to be the guy that you want to go get the beer with, my radical guy just goes and sits in the shadows, sits in the corner. There has to be something Since God has set us apart by his blood and his covenant, there's gotta be something that we cooperate with where we enter into setting ourselves apart as well. The difference from us in the world needs to be vast. And I think the vast difference is that we can be hungry for God. We can take all of our hungers for this world and all the ways that we meet that hunger and we can point it toward God. To say, I'm so hungry for God that we don't want anything else to fill it, but everything else fills it. If it's true that blessed are the hungry, for the hungry will be filled, then I gotta take my hunger back to my center of gravity, Jesus, my first love. I gotta take it back to there, let myself be hungry, and let Him fill it. Let Him stoke the embers. In this fire that often grow dim, every good fire needs some stoking. Our faith's fire needs stoking. We're made to feast on God, and we often just kind of snack around down here on this world. John Piper said, "The weakness of our hunger for God is not because He's unsavory, but because we keep ourselves stuffed with other things." Hey, can I just read this for a second and invite your heart to be stirred up with hunger right now by the Holy Spirit? Oh God, you're my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. And so I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I'll bless you as long as I live. And in your name, I'll lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. This is the kind of prayer that we forget to pray. This prayer stirs the faith inside of us. It restokes that fire. It reminds us of what we really deeply desire. But the threats in the world are real, and we've been warned of the things that choke the life out of us, the cares of this world, which are so many. Deceitfulness of riches, which is so many. Desires for other things than God, so many. And to come against these threats, we need to have seasons where we break from that beautiful ordinary and make a plan for the extraordinary to stoke those desires and call us deeper toward God. There's nothing less wanted in my life than to be just an aging, sad, tired, Christian that's numb on the inside and cold. I don't want that. And I don't want that for you guys. One definition of consecration is to unite by force with the sacred. Daniel separated himself to God and lived differently than others. He positioned his heart after God. He prayed three times a day. He fasted. He sought after God when no one was watching. His life was marked by miraculous deliverances, the lion's den, fiery furnace, visions, dreams, and God's favor. His life was alive to God's purposes. He led a consecrated life that has overflowed through history. A consecrated life is a life focused on the glory of God. It plans for the extraordinary. It lives in the beautiful ordinary, but it plans for the extraordinary and opens itself to experience the living God. Consecration is offering a moment or a time period like what we've been given here in Lent, springtime, placing ourselves under the care and provision and power of God to be stirred in desire for God, affection for God, a desire for holiness, more conviction, I hate conviction, but I'm asking for it again. God, would you convict me? I don't want to just grow comfortable. There were these radicals in the scriptures. In the darkest days in Israel's history, God raised up consecrated individuals like Samson and Samuel and John the Baptist to shake his people out of complacency and confront idolatry in the land. These men were known as Nazarites because of their radical devotion to Yahweh. Their commitment to deny themselves the legitimate pleasures of this life so that they might experience a greater measure of satisfaction that God set them apart from the rest of their generations. And in and through Jesus, we're invited to actually do the same thing. But man, I would love to see like a group of young people that were like so radical for Jesus. They want to set themselves apart. But this is what Jesus calls us to as an inward and an outward consecration. From Romans 12, I appeal to you guys, brothers, sisters. And I think of Paul, and I don't think he's saying it like I'm saying it. By the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, that's your spiritual worship. Don't be conformed to this world, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. We desire that kind of set-apart life like Romans 12 and like these Nazarene people, but we need this gospel fire and this spirit-wrought life pursuit of Jesus to keep our hearts awake. And we've been given a time, a consecrated time, that we could join into and engage. Mike Bickle says this, only the fire of inward intimacy the filling of the Holy Spirit, along with continuously receiving God's mercy and delight for us, can deliver us from the pharisaical heart. Nazarites who are not living in intimacy with the Lord also face the danger of self-righteousness when they rejoice in their commitment to Jesus and not in Jesus himself. Paul makes it sound like this. I count everything as lost; nothing else matters, because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things, and you know what, I don't even care. I count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. Jesus is everything. All right, so today with this Lenten season in mind, this springtime in mind, the fact that God has called us out of dark into light, he set us apart because of the work of Jesus on the cross and his resurrection. I want to invite you to join all of those consecrations with your own over this Easter season. Just like that field was a container, Lent is also a container for consecration. It's a container for consecration that's built for renewal, to prepare our hearts, to look on the cross and its horrors and benefits, to look on the resurrection and its power and its life. So why why am I inviting myself and you guys to be a consecrated people? First, it's for the glory of God, to set yourself apart for that, to set yourself apart to feast on Jesus because there's no better meal to set yourself apart for a season at least to cultivate hunger for God, to hear his voice afresh again, maybe. I've spent a lot of years where I just feel like I'm like, God, speak. God, speak. And there's reasons why he doesn't. There's both powerful, beautiful reasons, and there's some hard, sinful reasons. But I'm like, God, would you speak? I'm inviting us to consecrate our lives in this season to grow our expectation of an encounter with the living God. Charlie, what do you want for Frontline Church? I would love for us to experience the living God because I think that would change everything. I wanna experience consecration with you guys for intimacy with God and returning to my first love and deepening my dependence on Jesus for his mission and his kingdom. I want to be filled up afresh with the Holy Spirit. I know he gives us the Holy Spirit, but he keeps doing that. In days where you're empty, he keeps pouring that in. I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. A.W. A. Tozer says, if the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we do would go on and no one would know the difference. If the Holy Spirit had been If the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament church, 95% of what they did would would stop, and everybody would know the difference. So if we mark this season of Lent, you set it aside for times of prayer, tomorrow, right here in the den, unless we would overflow that place, we could come in here, For you guys to take your lunch hour and join us from 12 to 1 and worship and pray. That would be a way you could set aside time. Maybe God would call you to some some form of fast. I do think fasting food is, is beautiful. I feel like it's in the scriptures. But I also think there's other ways to subtract other things from your life so that you have more time to look on Jesus. Maybe you start tonight and use this week to consider how you'd lay out the next 40 days, how you would pray, how you'd fast, how you would, what rhythms would you take? What people would you call into that time with you? What would you subtract from your life so that you could feast well? Jesus said, man can't live on bread alone. He said, I have a food you don't know about. That means that there's something for us too of Jesus' presence, of the Father's presence, of the Spirit's presence that could be food for us during this time. Jesus said, blessed are you who are hungry now for you shall be satisfied. I'm not always hungry because I'm so filled with things down here but the invitation for consecration is for us to be hungry again and let yourself be hungry and take it back to Jesus and let him be the one that fills you. St. Augustine said, that God is always trying to give us good things, give good things to us, but our hands are too full to receive them. And not only our hands, but also our hearts and our minds and attention, we're clogged with addiction. What if the core of this church would answer the invitation from God and consecrate itself for a season? What would God do? What could God do? Of course, he can do anything. How would he meet us? taking a break from just your ordinary way of life where you worship through dishes and relationship and song and food, all beautiful things, all ways we get to worship, but to push pause on that so that the extraordinary can break through. You know we believe as a church that God could do anything at any time, and it's what we desire. Here's a few things that could happen if we collectively and individually set ourselves apart. The wilderness and the dry land would be glad in our hearts and in this church. The desert would rejoice and blossom in our hearts and in this church. It rejoiced with singing and see the glory of God in our hearts and in this church. Blind eyes might open. Deaf ears might hear. The lame would leap. The mute would sing. I don't want to be shy right now. I really like... On our Sunday mornings when people come up sick and hurt, whether it's in their mind or heart or body, I would love for us to lay a hand on their shoulder and go, Jesus, would you help these people? And God just heals. He puts things back together. It's up to him, but wouldn't it be beautiful if God met us in our consecrating ourselves and did something extraordinary? I'll tell you what might happen in our hearts and in this place, his water might gush in the wilderness and there'd be streams in the desert. So listen to his invitation. See if your heart might desire this. Yet even now declares the Lord, hey, return to me with all your heart. He's not even asking us to pretend. He's saying you can come with your heart with fasting and and weeping. And mourning over all your sin and our sin and the world's sin. And rend your hearts. Don't worry about your outsides right now. Return to the Lord your God. And you're not returning to some mean, angry God that's got a stick. Listen to what He's like He's gracious, He's merciful, He's slow to anger. He abounds in steadfast love. The same love that came after you when he saved you, when he grabbed you and held you and told you he loved you, that same love that sought after you is the same love that's saying, hey, come back. It still is good. It's strong. It's steadfast. It's not like the people that come and go from your life that check out whenever they want to, that storm out the door whenever they think it's fit. He said, I'm steadfast. Return to that. So my simple prayer and then a little bit of instruction is Christ, would you increase your ministry in, in us in this church? And would you let us decrease? A little bit at a time, God. We actually, we actually thank you for Frontline Church, but we don't mind if the name goes away. And people go, I don't know what that's called. It's just the place where... Jesus has great ministry presence. So before we leave tonight and receive the ashes on your way out, and that'll be explained in in a little bit, we want to invite you in in about five minutes of meditation and reflection. There'll be some scripture on the screen rolling through. You can simply sit and read that Meditate on it. Think about it. You can, if you've got little children, you can speak to them about what we're speaking about in ways that they, they might hear it. Jesus wants these little kids to come too. Maybe you have prayers that have bubbled up in your heart, either for the church or for each other or for yourself. Maybe you pull out your journal and you think about the next Lenten season, springtime season, where God might do anything at any time. And you just start to brainstorm a little bit. What's one or two ways that I can decrease the amount of input from the world in my life and increase the amount I look on Jesus and feast? So Jesus, let your ministry increase. Let us decrease. Thank you for setting us apart by your presence. God, would you call us to consecrate ourselves now? In Jesus' name, amen.